The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return to the latter part of John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and we'll begin reading uh, in verse 44, just for a little bit of context. We've already looked at the beginning portion of this, and we want to look at the latter part of it, but just to get a little bit of more flow, we'll start in John chapter 1 and verse 44. Now Philip was up Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We've uh, talked about the interaction here between Jesus and Nathaniel and his fig tree experience, that special, intimate moment where it was just him and the Lord and no one else knew about it. And Jesus' knowledge of that event under the fig tree proved Jesus' deity to him. And he immediately confessed because of his knowledge of, of what happened under the fig tree. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Which is a good profession. It's good that he uh, believed that and he professed that. But Jesus says... Because I said unto thee, that, uh, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And as one of the twelve apostles who were with Jesus in, in his ministry, uh, they, he did not just see his uh, omniscience on display. Uh, he saw his total power in all realms of creation over over devils and sickness and death and many other things. And that was all manifested powerfully in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he actually says here, <clears throat> really, really, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of man, which is a reference back to Genesis chapter 28 that we'll go to in just a minute. But it's interesting here that Jesus tells Nathaniel that you were so moved with my knowledge of what happened under the fig tree that you believed on me, but you're going to see greater things than these. And he actually says that Nathaniel was going to see angels of God 
ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, Nathaniel was not in that close group that got a little bit more information and a little bit more experiences, you know, like Peter and James and John. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so Nathaniel doesn't appear to be in that group that got a little bit of uh, extra information and uh, special experience. But just from him following Jesus Christ around for three and a half years and watching him pray, no doubt, but watching him throughout the full course of his ministry, he saw angels of God in his spiritual experience ascending and descending upon Jesus Christ. That's a really powerful thought to think about. I want to highlight just a few things before we go to Genesis chapter 28. First of all, Jesus Christ is the only connecting link between heaven and earth. Okay? He's 100% the Son of Man and also at the same time 100% the Son of God. He's the only mediator between God and man. It describes him in the book of Job as being a daysman, which depicts having one hand as uh, one of our hymn writers and one of the new hymns in our Primitive Baptist hymnal. Um, One hand on the heavens and one hand on the earth. He's the connecting link. And he's, because of that, because he's the connecting link, he is the only avenue, the only way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, right? I mean, man in a sinful state doesn't have the right to just show up at heaven and say, Lord, I have a right to be here. No, the only way that we have any access to God at all is through Jesus Christ. He is the connecting link. And I think you also have this beautiful picture of him uh, in Genesis 28 is the ladder, the staircase, but here uh, just being the person that the angels of God ascend and descend upon. You know, angels are, are continually being dispatched with commands to go minister unto God's children. That's what angels are. They are uh, ministers unto the elect. And obviously you have some dynamics of uh, angels in Scripture, uh, not necessarily them having wings necessarily, but they do they do fly. They get places really quick. Um, but figuratively though, Jesus Christ is the connecting link between heaven and earth that they ascend and descend upon. And you, it's almost like you have, it's just if we, if our eyes were ever open to the spiritual reality that's around us, similar to Elisha's servant, to see the uh, the uh, chariots of fire that were surrounding the enemies of God, if we were really aware of everything that was going on, it would just be, we wouldn't be able to get anything, anything done. We, we would just be astounded uh, with with all of the, the spiritual, uh, not just the spiritual blessings, but spiritual warfare that's going yeah. on all around us. And I would say there is just a continual flow up and down, up and down, up and down of angels returning to heaven to receive their new marching orders, and then receiving those orders and then going down to minister to the elect. And it's just like you just have this continual up and down and up and down and up and down with angels receiving orders and then carrying out those orders to go minister to God's children. We are thankful that the angels of the Lord encamp round about them that fear him and minister to the elect. So Jesus Christ is the uh, connecting link between heaven and earth. 
And he is the, the means by which those angels receive their orders and are dispatched to go minister unto the elect children of God. So <clears throat> let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 28. And as these good Jews of uh, Philip and Nathaniel um, had studied the Old Testament, their mind would have immediately went to this connection here. Um, in Genesis chapter 28 of Jacob's dream and what's commonly known as Jacob's ladder. So Genesis chapter 28, when we find Jacob here, he is um, running away from his homeland. It's always kind of humorous to me um, when you look at some of the timeline in the Old Testament and the timeline in the life of Jacob. You know, we see the way that he conducts himself uh in stealing, first of all, Esau's uh, birthright and then his blessing. And, you know, we kind of view them as, as you know, just some teenage boys who were having some some teenage boy rivalry and everything. I want you to understand that, that Jacob was a 70-year-old man. <laughs> okay, now he ended up dying at, you know, 140, 150 or something. So we'll just call him straight up middle age, you know. Let's say he's 35 or 40, but by, by today's standards. But he's a 70-year-old man who's, by the way, going to his mama and getting her to lie for him, to steal the blessing, you know. This is not a little bitty kid. This is a grown man. And this grown man is now having to run away because his brother is ready to kill him. <clears throat> And um, Jacob's name means hill catcher, it means supplanter. And, and again, he, he hadn't just uh, sowed his wild oaks in his teenage years, 70 years. And from what we know about him in Scripture, there's just not a lot of positive fruit up to this point. Yeah. You know, it's not my place to say when somebody's born again, but we can look and put on our, uh, with humility, knowing that we're not the ultimate judge, but we put on our justification by works hat a little bit sometimes and evaluate the uh, actions of other people. And as I put on my justification by works hat and evaluate the life of, uh, of Jacob, there's just not a lot of positive fruit uh, prior to this event. And uh, I'm just going to suppose, at least for this evening, um, that this is the moment in which Jacob was born again because uh, God says that I found Jacob in a waste howling wilderness. I found him out in the middle of, of nowhere and that's where I appeared to him and I called him and I drew him and that's where we find him here. We find him out in the middle of the wilderness, of a waste howling wilderness and we know that People are born again. God's children are born again by the voice of the Son of God. And Jesus speaks to him directly. God speaks to him directly. And I believe we can make uh, a, a good assumption that there's a high likelihood that this is when Jacob was born again. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. Because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Now, when it says a ladder here, that's not necessarily a rung ladder that you would put 
on the side of a house or a, a ladder that we would typically use. The idea of a ladder here is a staircase, okay, a staircase up to heaven. And God's at the top of it. God's at the top of the staircase. Angels of God ascending and descending upon the staircase, which we find out there in John chapter 1, is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. This staircase goes right in the throne room of God, if you will. And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. <clears throat> the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the same promise that the Lord gave to Abraham. The same promise he gave to Isaac. And now he's reiterating that again to Jacob and thy seed. And that seed, ultimately, the final fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ, that in the seed of Jacob, the seed of Abraham, that would eventually, thousands of years later, would come from them because of that seed, because of Jesus Christ, every family in the earth would be in a blessed condition. Remember, God has a people out of every nation, kindred, and that word kindred literally means family. Every family unit, God has a people out of every nation, kindred, family. Right. And in Jesus Christ, that would ultimately come from the seed of Jacob, in him, of all families. But notice how broad this is. The west, the east, the north, the south, everyone in all directions. Again, God has a people of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Verse 15, and behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And now Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. And Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had made for a pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I surely will give the tenth unto thee. What I want to highlight here is that Jacob has this experience with God. The presence of God is what made this place special, okay? Obviously, there's not anything special in a natural sense about a rock in the middle of the wilderness, right? He just puts his head on a, on a rock, 
And because the Lord manifested himself there, because the Lord appeared to him there, now this is a very special place in his spiritual experience. And he calls this the house of God. The house of God. Bethel, which literally means the house of God. And it's amazing how the Lord can take some of the most uh, unimpressive situations, some of the most unimpressive things to the world, and what makes it such a special place, especially a place to be anointed here, to be remembered, to uh, to make a pillar there. Um, what makes that place special is because of the presence of Almighty God and your communion with God in that place. And I want you to don't miss um, what he speaking, so many of these Old Testament saints uh, speak much more profoundly than probably they realize in the moment. He is saying this is the house of God, but yet at the same time, think about it, he's not dwelling in a house that we would call a house, right? right. He's, he's by himself in the middle of the wilderness, but yet he says this is the house. That means this is the dwelling place of God. And that is what the church is called in the New Testament, right? The house of God. And the... Uh, Gospel of Matthew addresses the church and the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven. We've been trying to consider that at Macedonia and what God's pattern for the kingdom of heaven looks like. And I hope that maybe we have a, a better understanding of that than, we have, than we've had in the past. But we need to be reminded of that. That this place that we have in the kingdom of God that is not necessarily determined by a physical structure, right? Because the church is a body of believers. It's a collection of lively stones that come together as a spiritual house. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think about those people there, uh, Lydia and those godly women on the riverside there uh, that were born again and they were uh, praying and serving the Lord with the knowledge and in the, in the light of knowledge that they had in the moment. And they were out there in the middle of the riverside. But when, uh, when lively stones come together for the purpose of worship and fellowship, to seek communion with God and to worship God, even if you are out in the middle of a place where you have no physical structure, those lively stones come together as a spiritual house, right? And that's what's happening with Jacob right here. And that happens with us when we come together as lively stones. We build a spiritual house. And the kingdom of God, the true kingdom of God, is so unimpressive to the world, right? (laughs) I mean, it it is um, no different than a stone in the middle. You know, and you think about it. uh, If someone just walked by, Outside of Jacob's experience, the manifest presence of God, uh, he happened to pick this rock to uh, to sleep on. You know, there wasn't anything, if you walked by that rock the day before that, that someone would have, would have looked at that and said, wow, that's a really special rock right there, right. you know? And, you know, some, sometimes you would see something... You know, Moses saw a burning bush. Okay, there's something really unique about this bush that really draws my attention to it. But there wasn't anything special about this rock in the middle of the wilderness, right? 
until until the Lord came down to commune with Jacob in that place. And that is the blessed privilege that we have in the church and in the kingdom of God. This is the gate of heaven. Well, let that sink in for a minute. Because we need to be reminded of that. This little bitty place here where, you know, we're just renting a room here. This is a different, uh, somebody else owns this facility. But it doesn't matter if uh, we did see fit to meet outside by the side of the river like Lydia and those people. Whether we meet in a home uh, or in some other location. Uh, this is this little bitty reasonable service that we're trying to do this evening is very unimpressive to the world, right? And there's not necessarily anything that special about, uh, you know, this concrete or these cinder blocks or these carpet. Uh, but when, as one of the songs we sing, when heaven comes down, our souls to greet and glory crowns the mercy seat, that's what makes it the gate of heaven. That's what makes it the kingdom of heaven. And this is the closest that we can get to the joys and the blessings of heaven while we sojourn here on this world. Yeah. Amen. In the kingdom of God, in the church. That's part of the reason why worship is so refreshing to us is because there's something inside the soul of the child of God that is discontented in this world, but it it yearns and it clicks with the heavenly message and the heavenly things that you hear in the kingdom of God, especially particularly in a worship service. The house of God, this is addressed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the house of God, the church of the living God, is supposed to be the pillar of, and the ground of the truth. And isn't it interesting here that, that Jacob turned his pillow into a pillar. Amen. And he named it the house of the Lord. And now the house of the Lord here in the New Testament is, is commanded to be the, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Right? To uphold the truth here in this world. <clears throat> he said, how dreadful. How dreadful is this place? And he didn't mean... There, the word dreadful just means, it literally means awesome. And we just, we throw that word around, oh, this is awesome, this is awesome. But I mean, this means that this fills me with awe and wonder and amazement. Um, you know, we, we throw the word amazing around a lot too. But he, he's saying, not that I'm, I'm terrified, not that I'm approaching into Mount Sinai and I'm, and I'm terrified of the presence of the Lord. He says, this is a, a powerful, awesome, reverential moment. He was approaching this with reverence. How, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, the gate of heaven. And especially since there's a good possibility that he had never experienced this kind of spiritual experience before. You know, this is what, uh, if you will, this is the kind of thing that dad had told me about, but maybe it never clicked. Right. I was looking back at the uh, previous chapter when he was deceiving his dad, and he uses some language there, which again, I think can, can also be possibly support that he was doing this in an in a unborn-again state. He makes references to the Lord thy God. Talking to, to Isaac, you know, he's your God. He's your God. But now all of a sudden it's not daddy's God anymore. 
He's revealed himself to me. And he makes a vow here at the conclusion of this chapter that from this day forward, from this day forward, to the best of my ability, I'm going to, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to faithfully honor the Lord. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He sets up a pillar as a, as a uh, remembrance, a memorial of this place and poured oil upon it to anoint it. Verse 21, he makes his promise, he makes his vow, I'm going to serve the Lord, um, that I may come again uh, to my Father's house in peace. The Lord protect me and allow me to return. Then shall the Lord be my God. This stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. Again, God's house is established as a pillar. And then, something that the awesomeness, the dreadfulness, the reverence of, of God's communion and fellowship and and a special manifestation of himself to you, one of your uh, reasonable responses to that is to provide a sacrifice back unto God and worship in a financial way. You know, it's interesting, we talk, a, uh, there's a lot of talk in Christianity today about tithing and the requirement that you need to give at least 10% of your income. I, I thought Brother Joe made a very good comment at Sulphur Springs this weekend. Yes, there's some references to tithing in the Old Testament to support the uh, the Levites. Uh, there was actually three separate tithes. Uh, the, the general tithe, and then you have a tithe, um, I think the one for the poor is every third. Anyway, you have two, if you will, that were annual. And then you have one that's every third year. And when you multiply that out, that's about 23% of everything that you that you uh, take in. We have the example of a tithe with uh, Abraham and Melchizedek, which that's a very good example. Um, but I thought Brother Joe made a good comment this weekend that uh, grace always abounds and superabounds, if you will, the law. <laughs> so I think if you're saying, Lord... Uh, God loves a cheerful giver and give as you have ability. Your ability changes from time to time. And the Lord knows that when those circumstances are legitimate and you're not just being covetous. But we should be as generous as we possibly can. Uh, and the Lord, will, I believe, will always honor that. But it's interesting how here there was nobody that showed up and told, and told Jacob. It was the same way with, uh, with Abraham, too. Nobody showed up to them and said, all right... Let's get the calculator out. Give me 10%. No, this was his desire. Amen. Right? This was his desire to offer back unto God because now he finally has an understanding that everything that I have received is of the grace of God. And I think he probably had a very tender understanding at this moment of the unmerited favor that God has given me. Because I think he probably came to understand, man, I have lived a bad life. You know, I have, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God, in, in spite of that, has shown his unmerited favor to me. And now it's my desire to offer something that God has, has granted unto me as a steward for a period of time. I want to offer that back to him in worship, to give it to him because what he has given to me, 
I know I don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. It's grace. And now it's my privilege to offer that back to him in worship. I want to go to Matthew chapter 8 to conclude Matthew chapter 8. Jesus here. Now we're back in the New Testament, back in Jesus' ministry. This is something that Nathaniel would have heard. Again, it's it's amazing how the Holy Spirit kind of ties all these things back together. They make this uh, reference that you're going to see things uh, that people in the Old Testament saw in in a sense and in a way, but they saw through a a glass that was really dark. You know, we see through a glass darkly too, to a degree. But those Old Testament saints, you know, you think about Abraham uh, there on Mount Moriah. He saw the picture of the lamb that was going to be sacrificed as a representative uh, that the the seed of, uh, of the promised seed would be Removed from facing the judgment of death, right? Like he saw that. And Jesus said, uh, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced in it. And I want you to understand that in that moment, there on Mount Moriah, yes, Abraham had a conversation with Jehovah God, but he had communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ, okay? And there in... Um, in Matthew, uh, in in, uh, in Genesis twenty-eight, yes, God, Jehovah God, spoke to Jacob, but that was Jesus Christ speaking to him, and they had fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ in the sense and in the degree uh, that they could have in that limited knowledge of saints in the Old Testament. Okay. But now he kind of brings all of this back together. And Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 8, and it's kind of interesting too, by the way, he, he brings this in after dealing and, and uh, discussing with the, with the centurion who asked for uh, his servant to be healed. And the, the centurion presumably would have been a Gentile. Okay, So this, uh, this Gentile displays what he calls here in verse 10, great faith. So this Gentile has great faith. And when we exhibit that kind of great faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we we really have a special communion fellowship with him there in that moment. And then Jesus heard it. He hears the uh, centurion make this request. He ends up healing the servant. And he says in verse 10, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So he was saying here, especially to these, this would have really hit home with these Jews. These uh, patriarchs that you have put up on a pedestal. You know, what they sought during their life was communion and fellowship with me that now you have the privilege of in a special manifest personal relationship way here in the first century in a personal interaction with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. So he said, in a, in a sense, you have the ability to fellowship 
with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through Jesus Christ because that's what they were seeking. You know, think about the way that, uh, who was it uh, that Abraham fellowshiped with when he showed hospitality to those three men that showed up on the plains of Mamre. What did he do? He came and he, if I remember correctly, did he wash his feet there in that, in that context? Uh, he had supper with them. He, he provided hospitality. And you know what? Now they have the same privilege to offer that same hospitality to also Jesus Christ in the flesh. And now Jesus Christ is going back into heaven. And we don't, don't have the ability to do that to Jesus Christ today. But tells us, uh, speaking to the, to the sheep at the end of time, that inasmuch as we've done the least of these, my brethren, we've done it unto me, right? That we all have that ability to, to prepare a meal and fellowship with Jesus Christ here in the kingdom of God. Now the days we have the privilege, nowadays we have the privilege of doing that by inviting our brothers and sisters, the other lively stones. And you know what? I mean, it's really special when we have a whole big old uh, bunch of people in the same room and a big annual meeting or a big worship service. But also, when you bring people into your home and you and you uh, serve them and exhibit that love to them, you, in that moment, are lively stones that are built together into a spiritual house. Amen. Now, it's really special when you, the more lively stones you get together, it just keeps getting better and better and better, Amen. right? But, but when you have a couple lively stones that are have a desire to fellowship with Jesus Christ and serve one another and love one another... Even those two to three lively stones are built together in a spiritual house there in your, uh, in your kitchen and in your living room as you're fellowshipping with them. And not only is that the gate of heaven, but you have the same kind of fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ that even Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And in some sense, in some sense, that every child of God has had at least a little bit of a taste of here in this world. Amen. Now, I don't know how little that taste is for those people in the unevangelized third world that don't know what we have in the kingdom. But there, are, I guarantee you, there are moments. They, they, they're just like Job where they says, I know that my Redeemer living. I don't know my Redeemer's name, but I have a hope that I'm going to see him. With my own, they have those moments where the Holy Spirit gets up in them, and they, but they can't look at those moments through the lens of Scripture right. that we have. Right? They don't understand it. They don't understand it. But I know that Jesus Christ comes down and greets and communes with their souls as well, and that's that's the close that they can get to the kingdom of heaven with the knowledge in the light of knowledge that they have in that moment. So uh, let's not neglect that. Let's be mindful of it. This is the house of God. Let's be the pillar in the ground of the truth. But this is the gate of heaven. Isn't that something? Just these, these little bitty uh, small groups of lively stones that, that meet together in a spiritual house. This is the closest we can get to the blessings of heaven here in time. And God's been so gracious to provide that and preserve that for us here in the kingdom of heaven. Let's do our best to press into that kingdom and sit down in fellowship with Jesus Christ with what he's provided for us here in the house of God. Amen. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.